I'd like to start uh, chapter 11. Okay, so what's happened in, in chapter 10, Perak Yud, is that the, the, southern, the southern part of Israel was basically um, conquered in a very, very quick, you know, uh, one basic one war, it doesn't seem to be one day, but it happened very quickly at the end of Yud, um, we saw the, the end we did very quickly last time, we saw that he went from that first group of the five to Makeda, Livna, Lachish, Gezer, Eglon, Hebron, Hebron he'd already done, Dvir. And this was a tremendous amount of conquering that happened pretty much at one time. Wait, I just, wait a second. There was one more thing I wanted to show you in Yud. It says here, This is Pasuk Membet in um, Perak Yud. This is a very important Pasuk. All of these kings and their land, Yoshua conquered at one time. Pamachat seems to mean one time. Right? This is like a really important thing to remember. Hashem uh, fought for Israel, and so they were able to conquer the whole south at one time. So if we look at our map, uh, you see here, I have a map that's a little larger than last time because we're covering a lot more territory. And I, I showed you it's color-coded. So Perak Yud is in green. The five kings, Yushalayim, Yarmut, Lachish, Eglon, Hebron. But he also conquered at that time Gezer, Devir, Horma, Makeda, Levna. And in effect, he's cut Israel in half and he's taken the southern half of Israel. So this was the tremendous accomplishment, Perak Yud, which is a very long uh, chapter. Now, Perak Yud Aleph, you see here. This is this whole northern area of Israel, but this is basically, if you look at a map of Israel today, you know, you see the whole diamond, there's the Negev. In biblical Israel, this is the heartland and also the Eastern Bank. This was the settlement of the Jews and the East Bank were the two and a half tribes, Reuben, God, and half of Menashe. And then this part was the nine and a half tribes. This is the heartland. So in Perak Yud, Yeshua has managed to capture most of the southern half of Israel, you know, certainly from Gibon, which is so central, and south. Perak Yud Aleph is basically the last major war, and it seems to have been, you know, going for a while. And here, I'll go back to the... Um, to the division here, and we'll see that your parakeet olive is a lot more manageable. It's much shorter. It's only 23 psukim. There are four distinct parts, and this particular text that I like to look at will show you the four parts very clearly. From Pasuk Aleph to Pasuk Hay, we have the northern kings gathering to fight. From Pasuk Vav to Pasuk Tet are Hashem's um, instructions to Yeshua, and 
the, the war itself. And then from Yud to Chaf is the aftermath of the war and the, the completion of the battles, which uh, takes the entire Northern Territory pretty much. And then Chaf Aleph to Chaf Gimel is sort of a summation in terms of, you know, Yoshua conquering and the rest there. And at the end, you'll see in Pasuk Chaf Gimel, Ba'aretz Shakta Mimelchama. So Parakit Aleph is our last major battle. So we'll start from Aleph, which is a good place to start. Pasuk Aleph. Vayihi kishmo yavin melech hatzor, vayishlacha yovav melech madon, melech shimron, melech achshav. So if you take a look, by the way, I sent a, a song in the chat, in the group chat, which is the Oshua song. You know, back in the day when the state was uh, young, they would make songs about the Torah. Actually, I think we're coming around to it again. Actually, there's a lot of spiritual songs now. That's, that's something I've observed in, uh, in modern culture. But this, you know, it's not such a musical song, but it has only words from the text of Sefer Yoshua, which is quite interesting. And they, the, whoever put that song together, um, which I didn't remember who did, but had a lot of fun with all of these kings and, and they, they rhyme, you know, Shomron, Febron, it's uh, all the 31 kings all together. So if we look here, back on our map here, we're starting with the king of Chatzor, Yavin. Yavin is the king of Chatzor. Now, in Sefer Yoshua, we see Yavin, the king of Chatzor, being defeated by Yoshua and killed, which is surprising that we meet him again in Sefer Shoftim in chapter four, and he's the opponent of Devorah in Sefer Shoftim. So there are a number of different explanations for this, but it would seem that the name Yavin, king of Chatzor, was a sort of generic name, the same way that all kings of Egypt were Paro, right? and all kings of Gerar were Abimelech. That seems to have been the name, Yavin. So somehow they managed to come back and fight another day. But Chatzor seems to have been a very, very important city in Canaan. They were, they were Dafka Canaanim of the, of the when we talk about the six nations or the seven nations, they were of the nation of Canaan itself. And the king of Hatzor, the Pasuk says, And when Yavin heard, so we don't hear, like we've seen a few Prakam start this way, you'd start, we don't hear what he heard. What did he hear? Whatever he heard made him sent to Yovav, who's the king of Madon, and to the king of Shomer and the king of Achshaf. Now you see here, here is Madon, much further south, closer to the Kinneret. This is the Kinneret. And Achshav and Shimron also. So we're dealing with the upper Galil, the upper Galilee. And Chatzor is the start of the whole thing. So what did the king of Chatzor hear? So the Ralbaik says he heard that, right? He heard that they're all being picked off one by one by Yeshua, all the kings were being killed. So he did not, uh, he didn't want to wait around for his turn, right? The Chida, 
Chaim Yosef David Azulai, the Chita has an interesting suggestion. He says, there are two things that were very disturbing to the king of Chatzor. And one was the command, that every single person is killed, which of course it is rather disturbing. And we'll talk about it at the end of the class a little bit more. And the other thing that he heard, according to Chida, is that the, if you recall in chapter 10, Yoshua tells his officers to put their feet on the necks of the kings. This was very humiliating to the kings of Canaan. And um, this disturbed the king of Chatzor very much. He did not want to be in that group with the you know, feet on the neck. He wanted to put Yoshua in his place. As a matter of fact, later on, one of the Mephoshim, the Minfekatana, which I have in my beautiful Zucker, says um, that Yoshua was concerned when all the kings got together against him that maybe he had sinned with that and that he, he did not intend, and Kaddish Prophet told him it's not a sin. Your intention was not to humiliate them. Your intention was to strengthen the Jewish people. So it's not a sin. But uh, according to the Chida, this was very intimidating for the king of Chatzor, which is understandable, I suppose. Okay. And the, the Kliya Khan has a comment here. He says, at the end of Perak Yud, it says, that's actually repeated twice in chapter 10. And Kliya uh, Khan says, that's what Yeshua heard. They went back to Gilgal. So he figured they're not up for another battle. They're worn out. Now's a good time to attack them. So these are the different things, the theories of what the king of Hatzor heard. But in any event, it's disturbed enough to hear to start gathering the troops. Pasik bet. The Elam Lachim, Hashem Mitzvon, Bahar, Ubaraba, Negev Kinarot, Ubashvela, Ubinafot Dor Miyam. So these places seem to be uh, kings from the north. And if you look at the, at the map, Kinarot, right? The, the map doesn't mention all these places, but Kinarot is, is, seems to be connected to Kinaret. Rashi says Ginosar, which I think is somewhere in the area, but it's also not on this map. But Kinarot sounds like this. And it says also, from the north, from the mountain, and from the plain. So when you're in the Galil, what's north of Hatzor, you know, Hatzor is pretty far to the north, these are all places that are um, uh, north of Tiberia and north of the Kinneret and get heading up toward Lebanon. And the Arava, the Arava, they say, was the place which was not, it's just, you know, kind of hilly and not actual mountains. But anyway, the, the Dat Mikra gives a place for all these places. He has it all figured out over there in the Dat Mikra and the, the Shvela also. They're heading there. He's thinking that this is in the uh, Amic the Israel, the Jezreel Valley in Nafot. Nafot is similar to Yefeinov and Harnov, the beautiful areas. Here he says, um, um, Galilot. Some, some translated as high places. Dor in the west. Pasuk Gimel, Bahar, 
Now here you see that the Das Mikra shows you, first he's talking about the kings, the four big kings that he mentions in Pasuk Aleph, and all the kings in all these northern things, all these northern territories, right, in the Galil. And Pasuk Gimel, now he's enumerating the nations that all these kings belong to. And if you'll notice, there's six nations and not seven. The Girgashi, we don't hear about them anymore. They, they were the, the people that took the option to leave and they moved to Africa and lived happily ever after. Pasuk Gimel, Hakanani, that's one. Why are the Kanani first? Because the Kanani are Yavin, the king of Chatzor, and he's the ringleader. But you have the others, the Emori, the Chiti, the Prizi, the Yibusi in the mountain, the Chibi, now we met the Chibi down south in Gibbon, but apparently there's Chibi in the north also. These tribes were all over the place, but the stronghold of Canaanim is in the north. And they were below the Chermon, but Eretz HaMitzpah. So the Chazal want to know what's Eretz Mitzpah. Mitzpah is a good word to know. Mitzpah means from Tzofet to look out, outlook, right? And um, Tzofet, like Harat Tzofet is Mount Scopus, and Litzapot is to wait for something to anticipate. A mitzpah is a place where you could look out. And there's many places in Israel that are called mitzpah, like mitzpah Yericho, where Yaffa lives, because it overlooks Yericho. But mitzpah, right, it seems that there might have been a few mitzpahs, but the Radak goes into a long discussion here of mitzpah. Do I have Radak here? Uh, yeah, goes into a long discussion of the mitzvah and where it is. And he basically says that there was a, a gathering, gathering happened in mitzvah very, very often. It's mentioned in Tanakh in a number of places, mentioned uh, by Yiftah and by the Pilagish Begiva and Shmuel Aleph when Shmuel gathers, uh, you know, against the Pushtim and when he anoints Shaul. This seems to have been a big, big gathering place in Mitzvah. And the Radak here, not to go through the whole thing, we don't have time, but Radak goes into a whole discussion of, he must have taken the victory that happened at this place, Mitzvah, which is in the north, and built there a Mizbeach and a place for Tefillah, and it became a gathering place for the Jewish people all the time, which is an interesting um, thought. Okay, but, but there are other places called Mitzvah, so it's not so clear. But this seems to be a very important victory at Mitzpah. Pasik Dalid. Vayetsu Haim, the Cholmachanayim Imam, Am Rav Kachol Asher Osvata Yamla Rov, is Susma Rechev Rav Maod. Pasik Dalid tells us that all of these nations gathered and all their camps with them. Am Rav Kachol Asher Osvata Yamla, an enormous army like sand on the seashore for multitudes, La Rov. And a tremendous amount of horses and chariots. Now, the horses and chariots is a whole new development. We haven't heard about horses and chariots. The last time we heard about chariots was Paro, right? Paro came out with 600 chariots to chase the Jews. But this is something that, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a, you know, comet, small comet that Dasmaker says. The Jews didn't have any chariots. They didn't have any horses. And in fact, if you go to uh, Devarim, chapter 17, and you see the laws of what a king is allowed to do, 
The king is not allowed to have three things, too many horses, too many wives, and too much money. What's the part with the horses? So too much money, you know, if you pay, take too much taxes and you take it for yourself, this is corruption. Too many wives is gonna lead you astray. What's the problem with too many horses? So it seems that the, the uh, and, and we'll see in Pasuk Bav, we'll go get to it in a minute. It seems that there's a problem with the horses for Jews. And it's interesting that our great people, in fact, travel on donkeys. It's, a, it's very interesting, right? Abraham had a donkey, you know? Moshe traveled on a donkey. Mashiach's gonna come on a donkey. If you think about it, the word chamor, the word chamor is related to the word homer, which is material. And the, the, the mystical understanding of riding on a donkey for Mashiach and for the other greats is that they had control over their materialism. So it's a horse, by contrast to a donkey, is a very arrogant animal and is symbolic, uh, not of humility and not of you know, control over the material, but rather of ostentatiousness and of uh, vainglory. And in fact, we'll see a very strange command about the horses in Pasuk Vav. We'll get to that in a minute. But we, the Jews have never, they've never faced that before, except with Paro, where Hashem drowned them all in the sea. And they, you know, and don't forget, all these people, you know, descendants of slaves, they're not warriors. They're facing a very, very intimidating army. And they all, they made a va'ad, they connected so that they would all be together. They don't want to be, um, you know, picked off one by one by Yoshua. And this massive army and all their horses and chariots get together at a place called Meimarom. Now, the question is, what's Meimarom? Where's Meimarom? And really, I don't know. The dot micra, this is not a dot micra map. It's very sad that I can't get the dot micra maps off my screen share because they would be a little bit more to the point. It doesn't tell you where Mayma Rome is, but it, there's two theories. One is that it's, you know, up here, like in Mayron, where Mayron, where the Kever of the Rashbi is, and, and it's Tzvat. But the dot micra doesn't like that. It doesn't make too much sense to me because. It's a very mountainous area, you know, having driven to Tzfat, <laughs> and to Meron, it's even worse, and you really don't want to go there with a chariot. It's, it's not a good thing. You need to have flatlands for such a battle. So it seems more likely the second suggestion of the uh, Dat Mikra, and that is in the Jezreel Valley. So that's going to be lower down, closer to this place, Shimron, which is probably Shomron. And this was, why was it Maimarom? It was a very, very fertile area. The, the Jezreel Valley is very, very fertile, a lot of water. Okay, now, again, I mentioned this last time and I, I even put this on the, on the chat. One of the beautiful things that we see in these battles is how Kaddish Baruch who takes the difficulty, like you said, I, it was Einstein who said that to Hava. It's on your pillow. I love that. That in out of difficulty comes opportunity. And Hakadosh Baruch who takes the 
problem that the Jews have, and that is that they are being attacked by massive, a massive army, many, many uh, cities and, and uh, kingdoms involved in this attack. And Hashem's going to turn that around to a tremendous victory for the Jewish people. In fact, back down here, when the five kings attack Yeshua, because Yeshua made a, because they attack Gibbon, and Yeshua goes to defend Gibbon, he's able to conquer them all, pull them all out of their fortified cities, and conquer them all in one bloop, right? Where over here, it's a similar thing. The Kaddish Baruch Hu says, well, you know, this is all going to be a, uh, a great uh, victory for the Jewish people, and a Kaddish Baruch Hu can do that. It's extremely important to remember that, you know, if we get into trouble, a Kaddish Baruch Hu can get us out of it, and we should, you know, turn to our uh, trusty davening, because, you know, at, at, like, like it says, you know, every difficulty will be an opportunity. One of the things I heard from someone, I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, um, you know, we, we pray not to be in trouble, but the point of troubles is, not, is to get you to pray. I forget the details of that saying, but it was a good one. In other words, the difficulties are to push, to connect to Kaddish Baruch Hu. The difficulties that we, we, we have all the time, the things that are hard, the things that are sad, we're, we're supposed to take them and connect to Kaddish Baruch Hu. Kaddish Baruch Hu is the one who could help us. And this is a, a lesson from this. So now we have Yoshua facing this massive army. So this is the second part of the Perak, right? Where Hashem says to Yoshua, Pasig Bav, but Yom Hashem and Yoshua, Altiram Ifnehem. Hashem says to Yoshua, do not be afraid of them. Apparently, Yoshua was afraid of them. And who could blame him? <laughs> it was extremely intimidating. Ki machar ka'es hazot, Pasig Bav, anokinotemet kulam, chalalim lefnei Israel. Because tomorrow at this time, I am giving them all halalim, uh, victims, corpses before the Jewish people. So this is a very interesting uh, point. Like, why is Yeshua afraid? Hashem has been telling him all along, no man will stand before you. If you go back to Pasekut, Hashem says very similarly, Al-Tira, when, when Yeshua faces the five kings, Hashem says, don't be afraid, right? I'm going to be with you. And here he says, don't be afraid. And um, the Medrash, the Mayam Lawai says, why was he afraid? He was afraid because he said, maybe the Jewish people have no more schuyot. Maybe they, all the miracles that came before, maybe they used up all their schuyot. And, and since, you know, we had this story with Achan, who took from the Cherem, maybe we have another sinner. So it's interesting because we have, uh, we have a tradition that other greats in, in Tanakh that express fear, like it's very clear, like it says that when Yaakov was about to meet Esau, he was very afraid. The, the fears come not because they don't think Hashem can handle the situation, but because they don't think they're worthy of Hashem handling the situation. So it's not so much fear 
you know, the, about God, but fear about yourself. Am I, you know, am I uh, able to get this, you know, this help from God? In fact, it's a very interesting thing. And we, we, Hazal talk about this in a couple of places with Yaakov and um, the Radak has a long discussion in Shmuel when, when Hashem tells Shmuel to anoint David. So Shmuel says, if Shaul hears that I'm going to anoint someone else, he's going to kill me. And this is the same sort of trouble that Hazal have as they have with Yaakov being afraid of Asa. If Hashem tells you to go do it, so go do it. What are you being afraid of? Right? It's, it's a very interesting thing. The conclusion, I'll just, you know, the, the general sense of that is that if you're doing something dangerous, you you could be afraid. It's not a bad thing or a lack of faith to be afraid. It's a dangerous thing. And you have to strengthen your uh, your communication with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, and you have to um, daven for success, like Yaakov does. He prepares. He, he gives. He sends a gift to Esau, and he splits his camp to protect to protect them. And he davens that this is our attitude. It's not inappropriate to be afraid of a dangerous situation. You have to take your precautions and then you have to daven and put your faith in Hashem. Okay. Um, the second half of Pasuk Vav is a very disturbing thing. Right? After Hashem says, don't be afraid, and Hashem says, um, I'm giving them to you tomorrow. Hashem says, "Et susayim to aker, ved markevotayim to swof baish." You must to aker. You must cripple the horses and destroy the chariots. This is a very disturbing command, and it's very unusual because we have a command of tsar balechayim. We are supposed to have compassion on the pain of animals. And what does the Torah, you know, mean here? To aker. So there's different, you know, Tasir Ha'ikar, Mitsuda says, take away the main thing, which is what even stands on, and damage their feet. There's an expression in English, hamstrung. And that, I think, is what's being done here. We're taking these horses and making it impossible for them to be used again. And we're not, the, the command is not to kill the horses. The command is to cripple them. That's a very, very disturbing command. So the Ralbag and the Radak and Ralbag talks about it, and the Radak talks about it, right? There was a uh, thought that what would happen if the Jewish people won the battle and took over all these chariots and horses? Right? The Jewish people would take them, the Ralbag says, they would rely on them. The Radak and the Ralbag bring out a very, very great. Uh, thought here that's behind this command. Hashem doesn't want them to kill the horses, 
but to prevent them from being used as weapons of war. And that's a very, very spe specific thing. And the Mepharshim seem to be very unanimous in their understanding of this and an understanding of human nature, right? You know, just fill, the, fill your mind, fill in the blank in your mind, like tanks, airplanes, missiles, any kind of weapon that's an advanced weapon, a soldier, an army, a state like Israel could very easily say, we won because we had superior arms. And if that's the case, then they're not putting the reliance in a Kaddish Baruch Hu. I think I mentioned to you before in previous lessons that to me it was always, you know, the fact that people, you know, certain people took the war of 1967, the miracles of the Six Day War, the anniversary Yom Yerushalayim is coming up soon. The miracles of that war were straight from God. And to, you know, to say, well, you know, uh, we had a great army and there were numbers of, of Israeli officials and, you know, laymen who felt that way that, you know, we just had outstanding soldiers and great, great weapons. This is a very grave mistake. It's something that the Jewish people should never fall into that trap. And in fact, the, uh, the, six, the 73 war was six years afterwards. And that was a complete disaster, a complete and utter disaster. So something to think about. You know, if you put your faith in yourself, right? And the Ralbag is quoting here a very famous pasuk from Sefer Devarim, right? That we Jews could unite. It says, You come into the land. Like all the scenarios God has anticipated and told the Jewish people, don't do that, right? And you will say in your heart when you become rich, and you can fill in the blank here because I think this is a very, very important life lesson. If you are rich, you think you're clever. If you made a good business deal, you think you're clever. If you accomplished anything, you pat yourself on the back, right? And you say in your heart, it's my strength and the might of my hand that made the success for me, that made this victory for me. Whatever it is, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a military victory. If you're saying to yourself, I did this, I'm cool, then you're not giving the credit to Kadesh Baruch Hu, right? You remember Kadesh Baruch Hu, he's the one who gives you the strength to do these great things. You couldn't do without Hashem. There's a very interesting uh, section in the story of Shimshon, where Shimshon kills a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. It's actually, it's quite a feat. He picks up, he's got these, all these Philistines, he picks up the jawbone of a donkey, and he kills a thousand Philistines. It's quite amazing. And he is, he's pretty cool with it. And he makes a little poem, right? He makes a little pun on the chamor and the piles. You know, with this jawbone of the donkey, I piled up all these corpses. And the next pasuk, he's dying of thirst. And the next pasuk, he's dying of thirst. Hashem, 
apparently wanted to give him the lesson. Oh, you, you killed all the thousand Christian with the donkey's jawbone, right? You did that all by yourself, right, Shimshon? Right? If I don't give you the koa, you can't make it to a spring for water. And this is a very strong thing. And Shimshon right away gets the Musr, and he right away davens to Hashem to save him. And Hashem uh, sends him water. But we must always remember that. So here it's so interesting that the, the Mepharshim are all in the same, you know, they all see this the same way. Destroy the horses because horses and chariots make arrogant armies. And that is not what the Jews want. And this, you know, it's, a, it's kind of, you know, sad because like, well, you know, what the horses do. But this is a lesson for the Jewish people. Okay. Pasuk Zion. Vayavo Yashu v'chol am ha-milchama imo aleim al meimeron pit-om vayiplu v'hem. And Yashu and all the man of war, all his army, with him, came upon them on this place, Meimeron, which is probably Jezreel Valley. Pit-om. This is a favorite tactic of Yashua. Surprise them! And it's very effective. Vayiplu v'hem. And they fell upon them. Pasuk Chet. Masakhet describes for us a complete and total route, the victory of the Jewish people. Hashem, again, this is in the hands of Hashem. Hashem gave them in the hand of Israel, and he struck them, and they struck, they struck them, and they pursued them until. Greater Sidon. At Sidon is all the way up. You know, the map doesn't go up there. Wow. It's all the way up there in Lebanon, right? Upper Sidon to be distinguished from Lower Sidon. And Misrafot Mayan. Well, that's really bizarre because there's a contradiction here. If it means Misrafot, right, then it means, uh, you know, the fiery water. But they seem to understand that Rashi says, that it's there were there was a place where there were ditches, right? And it was right by the sea, and they would dig ditches in the in the beaches so that the seawater would come in, and it would be saruf. The sun would dry up or burn the ditches, and that only the only thing that would be left in the ditches sand. So it was a way of sort of collecting sea salt, apparently. And Bikat Mitzvah, the valley at Mitzvah that we mentioned in the east, and they struck them until there was nobody left. There was no Sarid, no remnant left. Pasik Tet. Vayaslahem Yehoshua, Kasher Amalu Hashem, et Suseim Iker, et Makaroteim Sarafesh. And Yehoshua did to them exactly what a Kaddish Baruch we said to do. And he he maimed the horses, he crippled the horses, and destroyed the chariots. And the uh, it, it's a it's an interesting thing here, right? And I believe this is in the Radak. Okay, let's just check. Right. Uh, this is a long discussion that the Radak has about the. Um, maiming of the horses and the crippling. And he says, this was never done in any previous battle. 
Uh, why did they have to do this? This was the first time they faced horses and chariots. We explained this whole thing. It is not proper to destroy things, but this is uh, as a lesson for the Jewish people. That wasn't the Radak I was looking for. Okay, so we're gonna go back. Um, the point is, where were we? That he does exactly what Hashem says, and this is because he wants the people, right? The people of Hatzor, the king of Hatzor, and all the enemies to see what's happening at this uh, time. In other words, we say it in the Tehillim Lam and Gimel, Sheker Yimalet. He, Yeshua was doing this in front of the kings so that they would see Sheker the, the horse is not going to save you and all of your army is not going to save you. We say, and also in Tehillim, Perak Chaf, right? These people have horses and these people have chariots and they have missiles and they have planes and they have bombs. Our, our faith we put in a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Okay, prosecute. And uh, that's definitely a life lesson where we should put our faith that not, you know, we all the saber rattling. It's a really a bad thing. You know, if you listen to the news, you can get really, really nervous all day long. Just remember, Kodesh Baruch Hu is with us and all our enemies, he can put them down in one minute. And, um, Usually does. Okay, prosecuted. By Yashav Yashuba Itahi, by Yokoda Hatsorat Malka, he Kabahara, keep Hatsola Panin, he Rosh Kola Mamahota Ela. Running out of time. Okay. So you have here Yoshua going back. What does it mean he went back at that time and he captures Hatsor? He captures the king and he strikes him by the sword because Hatsor formerly was the head of all these kingdoms. So if you look at the map, you see, and I mentioned before that Hatsor is very, very important. Later on in Sefer Shoftim with the story of Devorah, it's also, it's the center. It's the command center. He's the one who makes all the trouble and he's the one who gets the biggest clock. And Yeshua goes back, even after this uh, victorious war, because Yeshua wants to make sure to capture Hatzor and to kill the king, because he's the one who started everything. He's the one who attacked, right? And, um, Pasuk Yid Aleph. Did I skip Yid? Yeah, Yid Aleph. Bayakut kol nefesh asher balafi cherb hachoreim. Yeshua just kills everyone in Chatzor and he doesn't leave anyone alive and he burns the city of Chatzor. So later on in, in Shoftim, when we see the city of Chatzor, again, it must have been rebuilt, but it was not intended to be rebuilt. And they do actually, if you, if you look at the story in Shoftim, they do actually gather at a place called Harosh Tagoyim, and um, it could be that Hatzor was just sort of a figurehead at that point. 
But in any event, Pasuk Yudbeid, that kol areyam lachim ha'elah, that kol machayim lachad Yoshua, vayakemu fichera pechrim otam, asher tziba Moshe ever asher. And all the cities and all the kings, and Shua captured them, he struck them by the sword, he made a cherem. And all of a sudden, we have an interesting comment here. Ka'asher tziva Moshe ever Hashem. As Moshe, the servant of God, had commanded. Hold on to that, we'll get back to this in a minute. Okay, you'd give him a rock. Kol ha'arim ha'omdot al-tilam losrafam Yisrael. Zulati et chatzor levadasarak Yoshua. Okay, so... Yeshua destroys Chatzor, burns it down, but the other cities he doesn't. What does it mean? Okay, so the Rashi says, right, their, their city walls remained, like Yericho, the, the wall fell, and I was burnt, right? But only Chatzor is burnt, right? But so it's Sarfa. Very interesting Rashi. It was a tradition that he was told you must burn Chatzor. Moshe Tzivalo. It's a very interesting, it's a very Midrashic thing. Moshe, before he died, told Yoshua, when you get in there, Chatzor must be destroyed, which is like a, a very interesting Medrash. What's, what's the deal? Why? Right? And it seems that all of this is part of this, and it goes on to uh, just got running ahead here. Pasuk Chav. No? Yeah, I'm looking for this. Okay. Here, Tetzvah. Okay, so we'll go, we'll go in order. So he Burns all, only Chatzor, he destroys the other cities, he kills all the people. We have to talk about this. All of the booty, the stuff that they was in these places, and the animals they took, just the people they killed, right? And they did not leave anyone alive. Tetvav, Kasher, this is the Pasuk I wanted to, to point out to you. Pasuk Tetvav, Kasher Tziva Hashem et Moshe Abdo, Kain Tziva Moshe et Yoshua, V'chein Asa Yoshua, Lo Heisir Dabar Mikol Shet Tziva Hashem et Moshe. It's interesting because we saw already in Yud Bet, Kasher Tziva Moshe Eber Hashem. How does Moshe get into this all of a sudden? And then in Pasuk Tetvav, that has just as Hashem commanded Moshe his servant, so Moshe commanded Yoshua, and so Yoshua did. He did not remove one thing from everything that Hashem commanded Moshe. Why are we being told all this stuff about Moshe all of a sudden? Right? We know that Yoshua was his disciple. We know that Yoshua did what Moshe told him, right? But he's brought in here. And I think it's important to uh, take a second to try to understand it. What's the difficulty we have with this parent? What's the difficulty we have with the whole Sefer Yoshua? We have a problem, you know? It's not such a normal thing for Jews to go into a place and kill everyone. What's the deal with that? We talked about this when we talked about uh, Parak Bet, but it's something we have to remember here. When we keep seeing it, it's very, very disturbing. 
Jews are pacifists. I always point out to my students that the word milham, to make war, which is probably the most active verb there could be, milham, is always in passive form. It's, it's so fascinating to me that the, the Jewish, uh, you know, attitude of pacifism, of peace loving, right? It's built into the language. We're always nilcham. We only fight if we have to. We're never the aggressors. Even in the Israeli army is called the Tzva um, Haganali Israel, the IDF defense. We are not aggressors and we're not murderers. And then you can go, what's going on here? Is ethnic cleansing, genocide? We don't do that stuff. We're Rachmanim, Goma Hasadim, Baishanim. We're not that kind of people. And we are very disturbed by this. So one of the things that answers here that the text is giving us straightforward is saying, this is all by divine command. Moshe is told this by Hashem. It's in the Chumash a million times. Go in there, get rid of all these Canaan all these nations. It's what Hashem told Moshe, what Moshe told Yeshua, what Yeshua did. And the question is, how do we eat this? How do we deal with that? And I heard two things that I wanted to share with you because I thought they were both very interesting. And the first one was Rev Hirsch. I'm going to read this for you. This is what Rav Hirsch says um, on the Chumash and Dvarim. And he points out, and this is his language translated, it's a little bit, but it goes like this, repeated admonitions not to have any mercy on the Canaanite population. Shows how such a merciless procedure goes against the grain for the Jewish people. It's such an interesting comment by Rav Hirsch. In other words, you have to kill them, you can't have mercy, you have to kill them, and get rid of them all. It's just, it's so hard for the Jews to have a command like that that has to be repeated again and again. It's a very interesting comment by Rav Hirsch. Our, our nature, he says, is to protect all living creatures. So this procedure, mercilessness against the Canaanim, is an exception that is commanded by God and it's done at his bidding because of special circumstances. That is Rav Hirsch. Another thought that I had heard that I really uh, wanted to share with you is from Rav Soloveitchik, Rav Yoshebeir. Now Rav Soloveitchik says, and he's really not specifically talking about this, but he's talking about the story of Shimon and Levi wiping out the city of Shechem back in Bracious, right, Periklam and Dalit. And he, he talks about, he says like, people don't understand the story. Like, why are the Jews killing out the town of Shechem? This is a very, very disturbing thing. We're just not like this, not our type, so to speak. And Rosalovetic says, you know, these uh, Jews that are not violent, they're pacifists, they are in a Milhemet mitzvah. It is a war of a mitzvah. And what Rosalovetic says is the people of Shechem, if we hadn't destroyed them physically, they would destroy us spiritually. And the same is true here with, this, with these nations. Their presence is so destructive, destructive to Jewish people spiritually. The whole Sefer Shoftin is telling us that. So the whole Sefer Shoftin, one of its themes is, 
everyone that you left that you did not get rid of was a snare and a trap. And so we have to understand that we don't understand. And the, the Chazal say, everyone who is merciful to the cruel ends up being, I'm sorry, everyone who's merciful to the cruel ends up being cruel to the merciful. In other words, just as Doeg tells Shoal not to kill Agag in the war of Amalek, then Doeg ends up killing all the Kohenim of, of, of Nov. Shoal thinks he's having mercy on Amalek, but he has no mercy on David, and, he has, and we end up with Haman. So we don't really understand Hashem's Cheshbono. This is a lesson to remember that we have to have, you know, we have to have a Muna that what we're told by Hashem to do, we have to do, and that Hashem knows best. This is a very hard lesson and a very disturbing story. Okay, we're really out of time, so let's finish up. Pasik Tet Vav, Okay, uh, it takes all the land, it's all sort of uh, coming together, it's all under the control, the general control of Jews, although as we see later in Shoftim, there are pockets of, of the, uh, the six nations that remain. Eretz Goshen is a machlokas, is that the Goshen of Mitzrayim? Did we go that far, the Goshen of Mitzrayim? Or was Goshen actually a separate place in Israel? From the south in Zion and up north, as far as the, the, the valley of Lebanon, south of the Hermon, Yehoshua conquered all these nations. Now, we have to sit on this for a second. Many days, Yehoshua made war on these kings. Now, it's a tough situation because, you know, we love Yehoshua and he's, he's a tremendous, great person. But Chazal criticized him here and they say he should not have taken so long to make this war. You saw that the war on the southern kings was pamahat. It was just like, wow. And all of a sudden, this takes a long time. And the, the Medrash says that Hashem told Yeshua, when you finish the wars, that's when you know you're you walk off the stage. So Yeshua says, Well, if I stretch it out a bit, I may live a little longer. Right? And the Chazal criticize him and say, You have to be Zariz. Moshe was told, you have to fight the Midianites and then you're going to move along to the next world. And Moshe goes right out and does it. Now, Moshe lives 120 years and Yeshua lives 110. And the Chazal say, because he dragged his feet here, he lost 10 years. And our life lesson there is Bizrizim, Bizrizim. You know, obviously God is not giving you direct commands like Yeshua, but we always have those opportunities that we miss because we too busy, you know, like if I said, could slide by and a time for Tfilah, we could let it go. You know, do it, do it right away because Zariz and Mitzvah. You catch more mitzvahs if you are Zariz. There was no city that made peace with Israel except the Chibi who dwelled in Gibo. All the other cities were taken by war. Pasukah, ki me'et Hashem haita. 
לחזק את ליבם לקראת המלחמת ישראל, למען החרימם, לבלתי היות להם תחינה כי למען השמידם כאשר ציוותם את משה. Very, very interesting פסוקים. פסק יוטס is telling us the only people who made peace with the Jews was that city of Gibbon with their little tricks. The only one. The only one. And then you have to ask yourself, why didn't they make peace? What's the deal? Right? So the Chumash in Devarim tells us when you come to attack a city, you call out peace. And is that across the board? There's a bit, seems to be a machloket on this. Rashi says, it doesn't apply to the nations of Canaan, right? You don't make peace with them because they are amongst you and they are a danger to you. But the Ramban and the Rambam don't agree with Rashi and they say, Yoshua asked each place to make peace. He called out for peace and nobody wanted peace. The terms of peace would have been that the nations would have had to keep the three, three things, basically. Number one, they would have to keep the seven laws of the sons of Noah, no idolatry. Number two, they would have to be subservient to the Jewish nation. Number three, they would have to pay taxes. So there were conditions to peace, but nobody wanted peace except the Givonim. So that's a very, very interesting thing to think about, right? What, what's the deal with that? And in Pasuk Chav, we're told that God wanted it this way. God hardened their hearts. Where have we heard that expression before? Whose heart did God harden? Of course, Paro, right? And why did he do that? Lekrat HaMilchamad, so God wanted this war to happen. Lemanachimam, to destroy them all. Levilteot lahem tachimam, that they should not have uh, any kind of mercy. Kilaman Hashmidam, their time was over. God was done with them and their evil and their perversions and their idolatry. And God says, you cannot make peace with the Jews. Go and fight so that they would be destroyed. It's a very, very strong statement. It's something to think about. When Hashem takes away your Bechira, when Hashem takes away your Bechira, that is a very strong statement. That means that Hashem says, there's no hope for you anymore. You can no longer make use of free will to do what you want to do. And your destruction now is an aim of a Kaddish Baruch So this is what Hashem does with Pyro. He wants to take Pyro, make an example of him. It's a similar thing is said about the sons of Eli. God did not want to save them. They were, their sins were sins of people who should have known better, who were spiritual leaders. And Hashem says here, there's no hope for you Kananim, you're done. You're done, go out to war, and I'm not letting you make peace. So it's a very, very interesting thing. Now, uh, the last bits of this parak, we're out of time. Just to, so that's just another interesting thing to just as a life lesson, just remember your Bechira is a very precious thing. God give you choices, make good choices. Because you see that God doesn't give everyone choices. So that's a very unusual case. But the end of it is that Yeshua, Pasik Kapalif, by Yavoshua, it's a Hiva, Hrites, Anakim, and Ahar, and Hebrew, and Vir, and Anam, Mikohar, Yehudim, Kohar, Israel, and Marem, and Hrimam, Yeshua. Yeshua gets rid of all the giants. There were giants in the land that the Jewish people talked about at the time of the spies and said, There are giants over there. Yeshua, he doesn't sound to have been a giant, but he gets rid of the giants. 
Only down on the coast in the Plishti land, there remained giants. And that's where Goliath comes from, from Gat, in Aza, not a lovely place, and Ashdod. And now Yeshua takes all the land that Hashem gave him. He's going to give it out to the tribes. And the land was quiet from war. That is like the last major battle of Yeshua. The next section is going to be the um, division of the land. But you see here uh, a very, very powerful, miraculous battle against very, very, um, a victory against a very, very powerful enemy. And Hashem's statement in this text again and again that this was God's divine command. This is how God wanted it. Yoshua did everything he was supposed to do. And he was able to get rid of giants. We'll talk more about Hebron and Tvir, very interesting stories in the next few chapters. But um, here you have this, this right, this very uh, uplifting thought. The land was quiet from war. Halavai Aleinu.